A quick fact before we get into today's episode. There are less than 10,000 bilbies left in Australia. 10,000? I had no idea it was so few. Which is why I'll be buying a bright pink Daryl Lee milk chocolate bilby this Easter. The good folks at Daryl Lee will again donate 20 cents from every deliciously smooth and creamy milk chocolate bilby sold to the Save the Bilby Fund. So do your bit and buy a Daryl Lee bilby for mum. Buy one for the kids. Buy one for your Uncle Steve and help this cute and very important Australian animal survive for decades more. You can't miss them. Just look for the bright pink Daryl Lee Bilby and Woolworth stores right across Australia, which is where I hope we see many more Bilbies in years to come. Daryl Lee makes it better. Welcome to The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. As an author, ad man and theologian, I've always been interested in people's stories. Not just those with a high profile, but people from all walks of life, regardless of fame. Which is why I created this show. Each guest who takes the Five of My Life challenge chooses a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. It's amazing what you can learn when discussing someone's five choices. I hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as I enjoy making it. Australian politician who breaks the mould. Senator for Tasmania, she is rarely out of the headlines. Open and straight talking, I have to warn you before we start that Jackie does discuss her suicide attempt in this conversation. Jackie, welcome to the Five of My Life, uh, and importantly, welcome to the Hallowed Sixer Club, that exclusive group of people who we get on the show as other of our guests nominate them. In your case, it was the wonderful Jan Fran who requested we extend an invite to you, so thank you to Jan for that. Uh, without wasting any time, let's get straight into your first choice, which, as regular listeners know, is always the film. You've chosen the 1982 classic Rambo. Tell us uh, why you chose that. Well, it was either that or Jaws, mate, I'll tell you, because Jaws, I think Jaws come out about the same time. And I think we all had video VHS then, didn't we? Yeah, indeed. In the olden days. But I think for me with Rambo, it's just because I think he sticks in my mind because he actually never gave up. I mean, he seemed to wear his heart on his sleeve. He was quite compassionate for someone that was this big fighter, that was a killing machine, um, had all these other qualities attached to him. And I think for that, he really does stick in my mind. It's actually not much different than the boxing one he did. I can't remember what that was called. Rocky. You know, he come out of nowhere. He was not born, you know, born on the streets, did all that. So I'm a bit of a Rambo fan. <laughs> and, and you identify with that against the world uh, vibe? I did, yeah. I just, you know, and there was times where he was just deserted and left out there and he still made his way back under remarkable circumstances. So I think for me, that sort of sticks. Very relevant to your, your campaigning for veterans? Uh, whether it's for veterans or not, as soon as I wake up in the morning, it's like put the boxing gloves on and just go for it, start smashing, because there's no other way to do it really. So even before I joined the Army, I was a bit of a Rambo fan. So I think that says it all. And you? You were in the army for 10 years, is that correct? Yes, yeah, so I did um, 10 years in the armed forces, joined in 90 and was medically discharged in 2000. Through, I did some damage to my back and then I spent the next 10 years of my life on hold fighting the Department of Veterans Affairs 
and basically going down the gurgler, I guess, um, as time went by over that 10 years. And they were just sort of wriggling out of their responsibilities or, or how did that play out? No, I, I like to call it delay, deny, die, because what they do is they delay your claims, then they deny you anything, and then basically you'll get to that point where you're an empty human shell and you just, the diabetes, you'll, uh, you'll try suicide, you'll attempt suicide. You know, there's many out there quite successful at that. Um, some of us weren't successful at that for whatever reasons. So I think for me, having that 10 years of hell, and it was hell, uh, and the financial difficulty in being a single mum and trying to bring up two young boys was really, really difficult. If you don't mind me referencing what you've just mentioned, is you actually were, were so low that you, you did feel that the best option was to end it? Yeah, so by 2009, I'd had enough. I wrote letters to my sons about three weeks before this happened. This had been going on. The build-up had really been going on in the last year. I couldn't get the psychiatric help I needed either from the department. Um, it was not enough. Um, seeing the psychologist for each fortnight, like I really need intense therapy. And he was telling them that. My own psychologist that I'd had for nine years was telling them and begging them to put me in because I needed, you know, really in-depth um, help. Uh, and the only way I could get that was by being admitted into basically, well, they call them a health clinic these days. But uh, into a, in a into a psych unit, so you got to the point where I wouldn't check the letterbox because every time we got something from DVA, it'd be negative. You wouldn't take calls because it was DVA. You were too scared. You just didn't want the answers because you knew it was going to be negative. And you really, you get to a point where you do become an empty human shell. You really don't believe you've got any. You've got nothing to contribute to life. You've pushed most of your family and your friends away for, from you over that period of time. You're highly dosed on uh, everything from antidepressants to pregabalin to lithium and, you know, by then I was um, struggling with alcohol use as well on top of that. was not in a good place, mate. So, yeah, so I think it was about August 2009 I walked out in front of a car. But you wouldn't believe it, do you? They actually come around and help me. You wouldn't believe it. I've got all that intense therapy I needed, mate. Now I'm a politician. I bet you they're bloody spewing over that. <laughs> did, so did you say that? The, the, the driver came round to help you? No, no, no. The DBA, finally, the Department of Veterans <laughs> Affairs finally decided that I did need help. Even they um, couldn't ignore the sign, right? Yes. So even though they were told on multiple occasions to get me help. So for the next two years, from about the middle of 2009 to about the middle of 2011, I spent time um, between the house and the health clinic or the psych unit. Through that uh, was another benefit. I was able to get a really good pain management specialist who started new stuff, doing new injections into my back, and that worked. So it just seemed all the stars aligned at once. So anyway, that's life. Uh, I call it karma, and uh, it's coming fair back to bottom on the arse. Well, listen, you're looking you know, robust and healthy and happy, so it's just wonderful to hear a story where you, from the depths you are now the force of nature that you are. So you're, you're, you're happy in yourself? Um, you know, I'm in a good place in my life. Compared to that 10 years, um, I feel really blessed. There is a lot of people out there that get to that point in their lives where I got to that can never turn their lives back around, um, and it, it's very difficult for them. For me, I feel really, really blessed because I can tell you now, 10 years ago in 2010, I, I wouldn't have thought I'd be sitting in the Senate. It was only like the 12 months or well, six months before that that I tried to take my own life. So, you know, I've still got to have treatment on my back. I don't have to be on the pharmaceuticals. Yeah, I'm in a pretty good place considering, you know, and it also when you go through something like that, it has an impact on your own children. It certainly did on my youngest one who was my carer. Um, that was a very difficult time for him. You know, he ended up getting into the ice and all that sort of stuff and a year and a half in rehab and 
So it's been it's been tough. So it's not just what these insurance companies, because that's all Department of Veterans Affairs is. It's a bloody lousy insurance company. They're not just the impact it has on you, but what it has on your kids, your family, your financial impact. You know, I pretty much had to give up a house. I was losing that because I just couldn't afford the payments anymore fighting them. I had no super left because I had to take all my super out to actually fight them and continue to pay my medical bills during that time. So it was a really, really difficult time. So right now I'm smelling the roses. And how are how are your boys now? The one that struggled, my youngest one, is doing very, very well. Uh, he's been now out of rehab for just over four years. He's moving along with his life, which is great. And there was nothing. My eldest one was quite lucky. He was very, very good at sports. So during that time, um, he was with the AFL Academy. He was a state runner for Tasmania. He was a state basketball player, all that sort of stuff. So he was not at home a lot, I guess you could put it that way. And he had some really great coaches, male coaches and that out there that were very, very good to him. So I think having that extra bit of discipline because there was no male in the house and everybody being aware what I was going through, um, that made a significant difference for him. So he's probably had an easier run in that way that he wasn't my youngest son. So he's in the armed forces, so has been for about four or five years. Fabulous. Now, for your second choice, you have chosen the second book in the nine novel Santelagio saga, the Bonkbuster saga from Jackie Collins, Lucky. Could you describe the book and tell us why you have chosen that? Oh, my God. I love her. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, when I had that 10 years of um, not being able to do much or leave the house or whatever, you know, the midday movie, back then it was a midday movie, Days of Our Lives, The Bold and the Beautiful. <laughs> I thought she kicked ass, this lucky. She kicked some serious ass and she was an extremely strong woman and she wasn't taking any shit. So I actually... I really, I could relate to her, even though I was down and out back then, I just thought she was something special. I thought, my God, imagine having that sort of power in the world (laughs) where you can just say, no, I'm not putting up with it. You can handle anything that's thrown in front of you and you're sitting there up up at the top of the corporate world. Oh, that sounds like me now, mate. (laughs) Did did you um, read (laughs) any of the other, other nine? I think I read all of them back then. Like I was pretty, you know, I read them and then watched the DVDs because the DVDs were out then as well. Yeah, I quite liked her books. I think for me too, I could get away from reality. It was a way of escaping and falling into um, her world, I guess. That probably helped me back then on some days, just Mm. sitting there reading those books and they're a bit like the new idea in the woman's day, mate. You can just switch off. They take you about 25 minutes to read them and, you know, it's a good way for me to go to another planet (laughs) <laughs> and read that sort of smut but um yeah the ladies in it uh you know get to the top and i just wanted to ask you about education and your view of your educational journey and and what you hope for other people the younger generation coming up how important it is i'm not really a fine example to tell people what they should be doing with their education i'll be honest with you i probably spent more time wagging school than what i did showing up with the bloody thing But uh, mine's been life education, I think, has been more than anything. But, you know, back when I was still um, a teenager, you still go and get factory jobs. There were plenty of jobs around um, without being highly educated and you could walk in and get apprenticeships and that everywhere and stuff like that. That just doesn't 
Certainly manufacturing's gone down the gurgle in this country, so that's really not an option. And all those apprentices that used to be on, especially for females, I don't think there are as many as, it, as there was back then on offer. You know, everyone back at school, they only did work experience where they weren't worried about insurance, you know. We went and done a week where you thought, this is what I want to do with my life. And then most of us come back in year 10 and went, oh, my God, no, I definitely don't want to do that. So I found that work experience um, very valuable, which I don't think they do as well as what they used to these days in school. But I think especially with COVID now running around, it's really, really important that if you haven't got a job that you stay at school and continue to study. I don't think um, there's any other choice. There is many times I've said this and I'll continue to say this, is that it would have served me rather well had I tried a little bit harder at the whole school thing, right, and probably done a year or two in university instead of wanting to go off and um, play with guns in the army. You know, so I still do regret probably not studying as hard as what I should and probably not finishing off year 12 and at least doing one year in, in university. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Did your boys go through? Did they finish the year 12 or? No, so my youngest one, um, he basically stopped going to school at about the end of grade eight. So that was a little bit difficult for him. He's hands-on. He's really hands-on. So he he went to, he actually did probably more time at TAFE when he was um, sort of that 16, 17, whether it was spray painting, whether it was painting, whether it was just some modules on building. He was more like that. My other son, yeah, he went through to great to year 12. And then before I went into politics, I still didn't have a lot of money. And he tried to do university by correspondence, but it was just, it was too hard. And unfortunately, I just didn't have the money to be able to send him to Hobart to make sure you got accommodation and all that sort of stuff. It just it just wasn't going to fly. So um, he may have probably, you know, done quite well at uni and not just in that first, um, I think, nine months or 12 months. And before he said, it's just too hard, I'm giving it up, I need to go and make money and get a real job. I, I can't sit on, on, the, on the benefits, they're just not paying enough. You know, so it makes it quite difficult. And you have a lot of those guys in those rural and regional areas um, where their mums and dads just can't afford that. And they even if they do go to university, they pull out after a year because they can't study and try and hold down part-time jobs, pay accommodation and whatever else. It's very, very difficult for them. You'll find quite a few of them just say it's too bloody hard and they come back home, which is really unfortunate, but that's the truth of the matter. It makes it all the more important. We don't make it even more difficult for students to go to uni. No, no. Well, I'm sure it's all right for the rich kids where mum and dad have already paid for everything and you've got, you know, tutors as well. That's great. And you don't have to worry about how you're going to uh, feed yourself that night. Um, you know, there's guys from rural regional areas, they're living on noodles for a week. It's just not satisfactory. So there's a great divide there and that really plays on my mind a lot. Jackie, what would you have studied if you'd gone to uni? Uh, I probably would have studied the bar, mate, I reckon. People's social interactions. The legal bar <laughs> or the drinking bar? No, that's what they tell me. They go, yeah, you should have went to uni the first year, Jax, because we just do the bar thing. And they go, <laughs> oh, it's, that's what a degree in arts is about. right? Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not, I was doing legal studies. I actually quite like legal studies. I'm a bit of a drama queen, so I've still done a little bit of drama. I don't mind that. More business. I went back in 2010, I think. I went back and done a, um, through TAFE, did Cert 4 in business management. By then, I'd already had sort of 10 years in the army. So I just, you know, I got that pretty easily because I'd already had that life experience. But, you know, I, I'd like to think that I could have done my legal studies and become a lawyer, but let's face it, I doubt it. 
you know, I'm usually on the other side of the law, not that side, so it probably wouldn't have been suitable for me. song we're staying in the 80s there, there yes. is a, a five my life spotify playlist and in your honor we're going to add madonna for the very first time you have chosen the lead single from her second album like a virgin her first number one signal in the u.s Tell us why you have chosen that song, Jackie. This was all, I think this was about when I was 13 or something like that, you know. So boys were starting to um, enter the world by 13. And I think, you know, that was playing, it was pretty free life back then at 12, 13, 14, you know. So, and she was quite, uh, she was quite big. Well, she still is now, I guess. She's, she's held on for a while, isn't she? 40 years or whatever, 45 years she's been around. And, you know, we're all wearing those hair like hers, we were wearing her outfits, uh, you know. Uh, it was quite amazing. So I think for me she really brings back a time, whether it's Like a Virgin or one of her other songs, just brings back really good memories of growing up. Um, you know, I had a great, a lot of friends at school, that sort of thing, and this was just what was what was playing at the time. So happy memories. I have to ask you, you've done a bit of media about this, but uh, your relationship sort of views status now. You were on uh, the, the Sunday program talking about finding a partner on your own terms. Yeah, so I have to broaden my terms out a bit, mate. It's just not working for me, I think. <laughs> or maybe I'm getting too picky. <laughs> what, 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 what do you mean by your own terms? How high do you, how high do you set the bar? <laughs> Uh, well, I think because I got that second chance of life, it's not something that's on my radar. I actually really enjoy what I'm doing. And then I sort of had that 20 months on the sideline because my dad was Scottish to be able to have that second chance of life and to go out there and smell the roses and to have the opportunities and meet the people um, that I've been been given and met um, over the past since 2013-14 is really, really precious for me. So there's not sort of, I'm still really enjoying that side of it. And I guess I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of male friends too that are really, really in my close circle. So I think I'm lazy. Like I think God just needs to make them come to my front door and knock <laughs> and just go and choose it for me. It just seems like, a, you know, it seems to do my head in. <laughs> we say God needs to make them. Can I ask you about religion? Are you What's your religious journey? Where, where, where have you landed? Yeah, I never really thought about it much, right, until I tried to, try to walk out in front of a car and do something like that because I think part of my healing was that I had to find some faith and I actually had to believe. I had to help myself, but I needed a higher power, power to help me as well because the Veterans Affairs were certainly not going to help me and how was I going to do that? So for me, I had to entrust, I'd lost trust in all that. I had to trust and believe that something much bigger than me, whether it was on earth or not, was going to help me get to where I needed to go and get back on my feet and get my life back again. And that seems to have worked. So... And do you attend now or it's just more of a personal thing? Well, mate, I have to go and confess my sins on a regular basis. So, you know, probably go, I don't know, half a dozen times a year. And there's church services and that that I'll go to on for other things, whether it be for Parliament. I just believe that, you know, God's not just in a church. He's, he's around everywhere. And if you want to talk to him, it doesn't matter whether he's sitting on the bloody loo, mate. If you want to have a shot at him, then you can do it from there as well, right? <laughs> so that's my belief. If I've got something to say or, you know, 
know, I'm at a, I'm at a sticky point where, I, you know, I might say, hey, mate, mate up there, for God's sakes, <laughs> you know. I've usually just got to do my yelling practice at him and usually it'll turn in a couple of days. So he listens, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Or maybe he just doesn't want to take on Jackie Lambie, whatever, but seems to work for me. <laughs> now, we're moving to your fourth choice, which is your place, probably my favourite place on earth. You've chosen Tasmania, the whole island. Tell us why you have chosen that on Five My Life. Uh, because Tasmania, mate, is the eighth great wonder of the world. Let's be honest. Now, I want to be, I don't want to sell it out too much because we seem to be stacking up with you mainlanders down here. Not that we don't love you mainlanders, <laughs> but seriously, when the goes, when the borders are open, you guys flood us. It's like we nearly have to leave. It's getting that bad. You know, we've only just got rid of horse and cart off the road and stuff like that. It's still pretty old school down here to a certain degree. It's not fast moving. Like I go, you know, you pop into Melbourne, you've got meetings over there for four or five days or Sydney, and I tell you, you cannot wait to get home and as soon as that plane door opens you can you take the biggest breath because of the air even the air quality it's, it's amazing compared to you know those cities and that over on the mainland there so I think we're just really blessed we got a lot of diversity over here and landscape you know you can be on the mountains and in the snow an hour and a half or you can be half an hour away from the beach it's actually um, quite amazing. The landscape it's, it, itself you know you can it's dry over one side it's all green over the other it's of course, we have the deadliest animal here. We have the Tasmanian devil, which will just about jump. So, you know, it's like a drop bear, but we call it the drop devil out of the trees. <laughs> and we grow a heap of opium down here, mate. I mean, what more can you ask for? The whiskey, the cheese, the wine. <laughs> Tell us about your family holidays. Did you did you go off camping as a, as a, as a crew, as a family? Yeah, no. So we didn't go too far away because there's plenty of places to camp. Grew up on sort of near the Guns Plains River. When I was a teenager, so we used to take the chance down there with the kids um, and friends and we'd camp down there, take the big tubes down there and go down the rapids. Um, but I think probably my favourite was when up until we were about maybe 12 or 13, we used to go out in groups, go out to what's called Portsarell Hawley, which is about half an hour from where I am. And we used to set up the tents and we'd have all our cousins and that out there. We used to take the town over pretty much. And my dad would make sure the container on the back of the truck he was driving was empty so all the kids would take their bunk beds and put them in there and that's where we slept. For me, that brings back really, really, really nice memories. Fantastic. And you now represent the island for the people. Yes, 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 I do. But like I said, we try not to sell it too much because as much we love you mainlanders, you were starting to put us in overkill. You were coming down here in droves. <laughs> Oh, it's bizarre, mate. You should be driving around here over Christmas. You cannot move. There is mainlanders, you know, you see all the rego plates, everything. I'm more popular with them than what I am with Tasmanians. I get more hugs out of them, I think. (laughs) It's bizarre. You know, in saying that, you can see, you know, especially the last five or six years, you've got the young kids out there, they've got summer jobs, uh, you've got the tourism going, businesses up and running that would never that you would never thought would have existed in certain places so yeah and they love it most of them will come back apparently a second time and a third time i tell you it's interesting hearing you talk about mainlanders i did some work on flinders island and they referred to people in Tasmania, I go, where's your daughter? Oh, she's on the mainland giving birth. And I go, oh, what, Melbourne? No, 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 Launceston. So you're a mainlander to a flint design. Oh, no, 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 no. We're actually holding the country up. We're just doing it from the other end. <laughs>
We're moving on to your your the last choice on Five of My Life, which is your possession, and you've chosen a ten year old MP3 player. <laughs> Talk to us about that. Yes, I had my MP3 player now, mate. That's when they made things to last. Still going after ten years. I've got no idea how you change the songs on it. So I've got all this eighties crap on there, and that's what I listen to. And I still I can't work out how to do the iTunes thing on my phone. So I'm stuck with my MP3 player. And when do you use said thing? So I use it. My I use. I walk every day, so that's how I switch off. And that's another reason why I don't like taking my phone because if the bloody thing rings, I answer it. And really, it's good for me to switch off and just go out there for an hour and not think about it and just put my 80s music on. It doesn't have like a virgin on it though. I'll be honest with you, which is quite disappointing. There'd be a mixture between the 80s and 2000 and 2010 music on it. She's starting to play up a little bit, mate. I'm a little bit concerned. She may she may be heading towards um, towards the bin. It is starting to play up, so and it's taking long to charge too. So that's a little bit disappointing. And the other thing I like about it, it's hot pink. It's <laughs> tell, got a bit of hottie about it. Tell us about your exercise routine. Through the COVID, was um, open and shut the fridge um, and get a suntan from the light. That was the first thing. So that's, that added eight kilos to my ass. <laughs> so I've got really, especially the last three or four months, making sure that I walk every day and swim probably three times a week. I have to anyway because of my back and the weight is just killing me. So it's like I've got to get this weight off. Yeah, so I really like it. And I, I just it really clears my mind. I don't try not to think about politics too much. It's just whatever enters my head. I could think about that or just switch off. But for my mental health, I think, you know, doing that part of exercise, I encourage people that are having mental health issues if they're able to, whether it's just go out and walk, whether it's go out and swim. I don't care if you're doing yoga. Yoga is a bit slow for me, but if you can do something, it does make you feel better. And, and do you always walk alone or does it ruin it if you go with someone else? I walk pretty fast. So I do walk with some people and just usually leave them behind. But usually it's just by myself because I just, I don't, I don't want to talk on my walks. I just want to put my headphones in and that's because that's my one hour of peace and tranquility. And are you a meditator? Well, no, I'm not because I have a trouble shutting my head off. So meditating just, it's like yoga. It's like, nah, got to get fast than this, just way too slow. I think too, because I've always been quite a, um, a physical person, anything from horse riding to basketball to hockey to softball, up until I did my back, there'd be nothing for me to do three hours of exercise a day. So I don't mind it if I'm going with the girls or something. You know, we have a talk fest rather than the Pilates and the yoga, but, you know, and then we go and have coffee and cake afterwards. So I really don't see the point in that either. That's not helping the size of my butt. <laughs> so it's definitely walking. Walking in the swimming for me, I find the swimming because it's buoyancy, takes the weight off my back so I can sort of get in the pool for about 25 minutes, um, which is good as well. Well, listen, it's so good to see you and hear you sounding so well and happy and dynamic. Uh, we're going to come to the last question on Five of My Life, which is uh, repay the favour to Jan Fran, is who would you like to hear on Five of My Life next? Oh, let me see. You should get Dermot Brereton on because he's as funny as crap. <laughs> Tell me about him. Brereton's obviously, Dermot is uh, obviously a Hawthorne um, football player. God, he's got some stories to tell you, mate. He's a be, he'd be so funny. He's, so he's a former Hawthorne great football player. I did the jungle with him. So um, I just found him very, very entertaining. He's got an, he comes from an Irish background and I'll tell you what, he's got talents everywhere. He's just full of them. And the stories he tells, 
I'll, you know, I'll get some extra points from that from your listeners. So I would, I would try him. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. If you want a sportsman on. What a great recommendation. Jackie Lambie, thank you so much. I know how incredibly busy you are for coming on to Five My Life and sharing your choices. It's been a real treat hearing you chat. No worries. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you for listening to The Five of My Life, presented by me, Nigel Marsh. Our producer is Mandy Coolen. Theme music is thanks to Darcy Thompson and Matt Nicholas. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please share with a friend. And if there's someone you'd like to hear take the challenge, please message us on the Five of My Life Instagram page. I love hearing from you and appreciate all your suggestions.